The House of Roll journeys far and wide to bring you exceptional quality kitchen and bath fixtures. In all of this, you'll see the details of your own story. The story of a life well-crafted. Welcome to the House of Roll. The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my Populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. And welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. And a very happy Easter to you on this beautiful, beautiful spring day or Passover. Um, you know, we had uh, first and second seders on Friday and Saturday nights. Um, and it, whether whichever holiday you are celebrating, enjoy. It's going to be a perfectly beautiful day. Um, and actually, it's supposed to be a perfectly beautiful week. But, you know, as we always say, there are a whole lot of people in politics and in the media whose purpose is to inflame your passions rather than to reason with you. And boy, this week it was on fire. My purpose is a little different. I've come to inform you, to give you information that will enable you to make an independent judgment on current events and to encourage you to act on that judgment. And we're going to talk about acting on that judgment. I'm a businesswoman. I'm not a politician. So the two things that matter to me are the numbers that tell me something and how people act and react. See, the difference between, you know, it's, well, forget that. There's a better way to say that. In any case, we're going to do things a little differently this week. You know, that Mueller report hit with a thud or a bang or a clang or whatever other noise metaphor you may want to use, depending on your perspective. I've read most of it. I've read 381 of the 448 pages. Let me tell you, it would be a lot easier to read it if it were available in a hardbound copy, uh, which I'm told by Amazon I will have a week from now. Um, it's, it's not really, it's not like reading a novel. It's a bit of a slog. Um, and, and I was, I was reassured of one thing, you know, um, way back when, um, as I looked at graduate school, um, there were arguments back and forth in my family between law and business. And my mother wanted me to go to law school, and I'm saying after after reading 381 of the 448 pages, I will finish it, um, I'm really glad I went to business school. And here's the difference. In business, we try to get the deal done. We try to accomplish something that we 
perceive will have value. The law is kind of the opposite. It's kind of works to prevent making a deal. In this case, perhaps a conviction or two. Um, and so um, I think it's very important. I think the Mueller report is incredibly important. And I think it's important less, you know, I know the Democrats have immediately, you know, dropped their subpoena to see the unredacted report, et cetera. You know, the redactions, which are principally in the first book of the two-volume report, um, really do appear to be about ongoing matters. There are more than 20 um, derivative cases from things that were learned by um, the uh, investigators and then spun off because they were not part of the very, very narrow um, questions that, um, that the Mueller special counsel appointment was aimed at resolving. So let's start from the beginning. This was, as former Director Comey said, a counterintelligence operation from its beginning. This was not a criminal investigation. The, the um, Trumps were not targets of this investigation. This was a counterintelligence investigation aimed at understanding and mitigating threats of Russian aggression against American democracy. And you got to kind of take a moment, and, and maybe I should say that a second time. The, the investigation that was opened Jan on July 31st, 2016, after, we re after the United States government received information from more than one foreign government of attempts by Russian, known Russian agents to um, penetrate uh, the loosely configured Trump uh, campaign team and, uh, and issues, as we all today know, uh, of Papadopoulos being told, uh, telling the, um, am the Australian ambassador that uh, the Russians had all of Hillary's emails uh, or a lot of emails from the DNC that included Hillary's and that that Australian reported it to his foreign service who reported it to the U.S. government. Okay, so that's how the whole thing began. And as you read 170 pages or so of dialogue, that's really the aim and the purpose of this entire investigation. The Russians actually began their assault on our presidential election in 2014 when some of the now in, indicted GRU members, you know, those are, that's the Russian equivalent of the CIA, the people who were involved in um, creating Guccifer II and you know, doing all these horrible hacks, they came to the United States. 
they actually came and they went to swing states and they took pictures and they, you know, they created a body of of work in the United States as tourists that later became part of Facebook posts and blogs and so forth. Um, it was spycraft. They also created while they were here, they also created while they were here false identities uh, for themselves so that they could buy services and um, products for um, information technology uses in the United States. So one of the ironies that you find in reading this report is that all of the information that the Russians sucked out of the DNC and out of Hillary Clinton's office later on and then worked with their own services and with WikiLeaks to distribute, they were stored on a server in Arizona that they had rented when they first came here. Now note that in this first 10 minutes, I've not mentioned, I mentioned the Trump campaign. I did not mention Donald Trump by name, nor did I mention the Steele dossier. Now, that's because, again, this was a counterintelligence investigation, and the candidate was absolutely in the first half of this in, of this um, operation was tangential to what the FBI was doing. The FBI's concern was what are the Russians doing that's illegal or, um, you know, spycraft in interfering with the United States presidential election. And we'll be back after a short commercial break to talk about that a little bit more. You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back. And as I said in segment one, the Steele dossier never appears in this entire um, report. I mean, those are words. It's not, it's not mentioned. It's not attributed. It's not in any way used in a material fashion. Um, this is a very factual report. I'm very impressed with the effectiveness of our um, of, of our investigative services. I mean, they did a super super job in identifying and rank you know and drawing an org chart, you know, an organization chart of the Russian interference, both the IRA and which is an in, an independent um, Russian company that was involved in buying Facebook ads and Google ads and so forth and pretending that they were American. And it is owned by one of Putin's favorite oligarchs. Um, and also the GRU, which, as I said, is their federal um, intelligence agency. So I'm quite sure we have something similar. But the FBI did an incredible job of nailing down exactly who did what to whom. Now, they laid that out 
um, the Mueller team then laid that out more than a year ago in two indictments. So if any of these folks ever pop their heads up, up outside of Russia, then Interpol can arrest them and we can extradite them. Information about WikiLeaks and how WikiLeaks got the material is broached, um, but it's not. there's not a lot of information in the report because that's part of the report has a lot of redactions. It's specifically interesting to me that during the second year of the investigation that the FBI detailed about 40 agents to work with the Mueller team who did not work directly on this investigation, but who worked on things which they then reported back into the FBI, none of which we know anything about, okay? But that's what counterintelligence is about. It's not about criminality. It's about protecting you and me from external threats. And we do the same thing with other countries. We're, we're not angels in this, nor should we want to be. So the other point was, you know, again, in 2014, Putin already knew he was going to attack the or attempt to attack the and 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 um, create chaos uh, and distrust uh, between um, the increasingly polarized um, extremes of American politics. It, and and yes, he made one assumption at in 2014, and that is that Hillary Clinton would likely be the 2016 Democratic nominee. And boy, he has a thing for Hillary. Part of that is he's an old-style male chauvinist. Part of that is that he believes that at her direction as the Secretary of State, the United States interfered with the 2012 elections in Russia. And uh, again, the report doesn't touch on that. We do, we're just talking about cause and effect here. So... Trump became the Trump campaign, and, and at that time, in parallel, in 2015, um, and, as, and in 2014, working with different teams, the Trump organization was pursuing a deal first to build and then later to take somebody else's property and, and license it, which is the better way for the Trump organization, a Trump Tower in Moscow. That's totally true. But they were totally separate and parallel efforts until it became apparent that Trump would be the Republican nominee in 2016. At which point, at which point, the Russians said publicly, we'd prefer, you know, Trump, but there is no evidence other than of, of direct the contacts were were frequent and they were peripheral. Um, there were some, a few conversations with members of Russian of the Russian government, but they were mainly around this Moscow tower. And Trump is correct when he says he was still entitled to do business. He's incorrect when he lied to the American people about having no. Um, business interests in Russia, when indeed, up until he had secured the nomination, he was working on this Trump Tower deal. 
there is a lot of um, of really good information, and and here's where I'm going to differ with the with the Democrats in in a really big way. Um, yes, yes, the Gang of Eight needs to hear um, directly from the people who led this part of the investigation, starting with Director Ray. Um, they probably should bring Comey back in. They should probably bring McKay back in because here's the really important part of this. And Strzok, you may not like them politically. Um, you know, I think they did. It's been proven that they left their politics at the door. Uh, you may not approve of Strzok's behavior, and certainly I don't. Um, but he is the best Russia hunter that the FBI had, followed by McCabe. Um and these guys have knowledge that is of vital importance to you and me. So here's what Congress should do with this report. And the 140 contacts that the Russians made. I mean, it was so funny. They, like, like Trump, they didn't expect Trump to win. And so when he did, then, then Putin said, okay, now we got to find a way to operationalize all the success we've had in disrupting American democracy. And so he, he commissioned all of his oligarchs to try to reach out, you know, through financial chains and other things to the Trump organization. Some of those things were successful and some of them were not. To the extent that it influenced the United States policy, we don't know from, from this report. We, we don't see that. We see a two-pager of areas where um, Russia and the United States with better relations could work together, okay? But, um, and, and that was given by a venture capitalist in the United States to Kushner, who passed it on to Tillerson, and we don't know whether it was ever acted on. When Attorney General Barr says that he exonerates um, the the Trump campaign, he's not being totally truthful because what the report says is there are some areas, mainly around Manafort, who, you know, all right, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I read a lot of spy novels, right? You know, we all know I'm a big fan of, of you know, Daniel Silva and uh, Brad Thor and so forth. I think Manafort is somehow either compromised by or is a Russian agent. But that doesn't make the president culpable. There are some instances in the report that are troubling, of people's conduct that are troubling. But as the report says, there is not sufficient evidence to get a conviction. Federal prosecutors will not take a case to court if they're not 85%, 90% certain that they have proof beyond a reasonable doubt. They're very good lawyers, and they're very careful. They're very conservative about um, charging people. What we should do with that report is we should take from it what the president later suggested to session should turn the, the commission into, but that's another thought. We need to look at it as, as a clarion call to build an army of people like Dan Trimble who was with us last week, whose expertise is in cyber strategy. We got to get smarter and we got to figure out a way that government and the private sector can work together to better defend us from these 
very uh, serious intrusions that were made through Facebook and Twitter and bots and so forth because some of these fake Russian pieces were actually retweeted by members of the campaign who thought they were coming from Americans. That's that's the lesson we need to take for 2020 is how do we protect ourselves from Russian and probably Chinese next time intrusion on our election, on our internal political discourse. And to me, that's the most important part of this report. It is not a, it's, it's not a statement um, to open an impeachment investigation about. It is a classic counterintelligence investigation. And as we go to break, let me tell you what for me is the bottom line irony. If Trump had left Comey alone, this is the report we would have seen, and there would be no cloud of obstruction of justice. If Comey had been left in place with this team of very successful Russia hunters, this is the report we would have gotten. There would have been no criminal charges except Manafort and Flynn who, and Papadopoulos, who actually committed crimes. Um, it's called USC 118. Um, and, and the same counterintelligence work that is now ongoing as an offshoot of this investigation would be ongoing, and the president would have been able to pursue his domestic agenda. And to me, that's the greatest shame in all of book one, and we'll be back in just a moment to talk about book two. Now, back to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy on 860 AM, The Answer. So I think I've kind of covered what's in the report. I mean, you know, it, it it really, if somebody had written this as a script of a movie, they would have rejected it as being too implausible to be um, effective in on the silver screen. You know, there were 140 different contacts. I mean, every single oligarch in the Putin universe after this election tried to find somebody with who could get access to part of the inner Trump circle. And therein lies part of the problem. Because I think we have to talk about what do we what do you learn from the report and what should we do? Okay. And that kind of goes into you know, spycraft. I think that, you know, having read the report, I think we checked that one off. We've got that one. Okay. Technology. It is reported by the Department of Homeland Security that last week they finally fessed up that every one of the 50 states in the United States had some intrusion in 2016 in their voting system or their registration system or whatever. I know Dan and I talked about the um, Croatian attempts um, and at, at 
getting into California's motor voter registration system. We know about that one. Because there was an open back door, one can speculate they got more, that they got in deeper. We don't know that. All of these systems that the 50 states use, and in California um, and in most states, it gets down to the county level. I mean, we do things differently in different counties in the state. This state is way ahead of most states in that we all use the optical character reader kinds of systems, um, and we have a pretty uniform uh, way of dealing with our um, actual ballots and the ballot counting. What we don't have is a good handle on the registration effort. We have more registered voters than the census data tells us we have eligible voters in this state. That's not uncommon. But the point here is we're, we're ahead of most states in California. That's the good news. The bad news is that there were intrusions by foreign operations in every single state in the union. We got to get ahead of that. That's where Congress needs to be focused first. Secure our election infrastructure. That's job one. Can't be done in a piecemeal fashion, requires real expertise. It requires people who can think about this strategically. It requires people who are counterintelligence experts. It requires really top-notch technology. It is a public-private responsibility. And that's the urgent thing that our Congress should be working on to ensure that what happens in 2020, we don't have any doubt about the accuracy of our registration systems or our vote counting systems. Going to take money, more than $350 million that's been allocated. Going to take resources. It's got to have, there is a dedicated group now in the FBI. We need more. And it's going to take regulation and uh, enforced responsibility on the part of uh, social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter and WhatsApp and, and Instagram and so forth. Instagram, by the way, surprisingly, was the number one site used by Russian bots. Facebook has made it really clear they're incapable morally uh, or socially, um, and so far they've paid no financial price for self-regulation. So it's up to Congress to work with Facebook and Google and all of these folks and figure out a way to regulate them. Let me, let me make a really simple suggestion in this world of artificial intelligence. If it's an ad aimed at an American audience written in English using pictures of America and it's paid for but with rubles, you probably should not post it. How about that one for step one? We've got to verify who's doing the posting. They have to do, there, there are lots of really um, basic things that if they don't do it voluntarily and they've showed no interest in doing it voluntarily, um, now that the, that the Russians have figured out how to really industrialize this sort of technology, it's absolutely time to regulate these really huge platforms and make them behave in a transparent fashion. There's a lot of technical work to do. There's also a need 
to make American politicians and the people involved in this campaign were not the top notch of political operatives in the conservative movement. Um, Mike Murphy would have smelled a rat right away. Okay, but we need there are a whole lot of inexperienced people, you know, Mayor Pete and so forth running for president. And they have these very loose organizations of first time operators. It's really important that the FBI brief these people about, one, what is American law? If a foreign national approaches you and you're part of a campaign, it is legally your responsibility to report that to the FBI. Now, in the report, obviously the Trump Tower meeting that we've all heard about ad nauseum is mentioned. And the conclusion of the Mueller team is you... You could not prosecute anyone who attended that meeting because they didn't know that they were violating American law. So a really important lesson to be taken from this entire situation is that you've got to brief every politician running. Every one of the 20 Democrats running has to be briefed on what to look for. And they have to be made aware of what American law is and what their legal responsibilities are. Because we want to have a free and fair election in 2020. And if we don't take this report to heart and learn the lessons it's trying to teach us and instead try to use it as a political club, the Russians will succeed again. That's the unfortunate truth. And time is time is a wasting. We will be listening to the first Democratic debates in 60 days. We will begin seeing voting in about eight months in the primaries. And if you think there was mischief in November 2016, holy cow, what kind of mischief can they be planning for this time? And we'll be back in just a moment with what Putin won. You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back. And we have... Not that much time. But the thing that that I find the saddest about this whole thing um, is that because um, this investigation got so off on the wrong track, because the president was so worried about whether it would impact the legitimacy where he allowed his own ego to get in the way of his better judgment that this investigation, which could have gone on very quietly within the FBI, you know, um, and would have produced a report and would have produced the same convictions that it did um, and that it will, um, Roger Stone will not escape, um, is, is that in the meantime, it weakened the president. It weakened his presidency. And it allowed Putin to get 
leverage, which he has no, uh, they're not a big, powerful country. I mean, the economy of California is bigger by, by a magnitude than the entire Russian economy. But because the United States has not been the preeminent power in the last two years, did you notice where uh, Bibi Netanyahu went um, before the Golan Height uh, announcement of the intention to declare that uh, Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights? He went to Moscow. Because effectively, Russia's govern governed Syria. So he needed their permission. When did that happen? This coming week, our old friend Kim from North Korea is going to Moscow to visit Putin. Putin's now the big broker in OPEC. How did all of this happen? It happened because the United States was not there being what it is, the preeminent power and the power for good. And so now that this report is done and we're through with that first part, and we know what we must do to protect ourselves going forward, we must also address the issue of Putin as an adversary. He's not our friend, and there is no reason to believe that he'll support Donald Trump in 2020 in the way he did the Trump campaign. You know, they won't do favorable versus unfavorable, and, and it's very complicated. Um, it, it, it's all about what's in his best interest. And to that extent, this report, combined with what we are seeing actually play out, is alarming and demands the attention of our government. And instead, we are talking about an obstruction of justice charge against the President of the United States. You know, I know because I'm a business person, sometimes it's really, really hard to wait it out. It's one of the most difficult thing, parts of making a deal is the waiting, but you gotta do it. And the president got himself into a lot of trouble by not being patient and by not having confidence in his own innocence and the innocence of the people around him. And he actually said that to Comey once, I'd like to know if there were any satellite people in my organization who had inappropriate contacts. Well, there were a lot of them, <laughs> but they didn't amount to an act of criminality. They were more an act of political inexperience. But a whole lot of people's careers have been sidelined or damaged um, in this process. And, and that's a serious thing. As you read the obstruction of justice portion of this report, you're left with two things. You're left with a certain um, comfort that when you look at what Comey did or what Sessions did or what Rosenstein did or McGahn or Priebus or even Lewandowski or Cohn and Rob Porter, that in most cases they acted in a way to mitigate the president's impulses. And, and they acted in a way, whether intentional or, or unintentional, in a way to protect the country. And so at the bottom line, 
the special consul struggles and he carefully analyzes. Here's the evidence, here's the intent, here's the law in terms of each and every instance of presidential behavior when, um, you know, the president tried to steer um, the election, the uh, investigation or to obstruct it or to tell people to not be truthful or or to actually try to fire um, Mueller. Um, and and so um, it, it's really comforting in a way to know that even Priebus, who was so ineffectual, was able to help the president to um, overcome his own impulses. But, but the reason that they did not come to a conclusion about whether the president is guilty of a under, under law of the obstruction of justice is that they looked at Supreme Court authority in terms of the separation of powers between Article I, Congress's right to advice and consent, and Congress's right to oversight of the executive versus the executive's right to act within the executive branch and to uh, make, you know, higher fire decisions within the executive branch. And so they say in the report, we concluded that Congress can validly regulate the president's exercise of official duties to prohibit actions motivated by a corrupt intent to obstruct justice. The limited effect on presidential power that results from this restriction would not impermissibly undermine the president's ability to perform his Article II functions. And that is the crux of the matter. Did the president overstep his bound his bounds in firing the FBI director, who is appointed by Congress's act to a 10-year term? The purpose of that 10-year term is to remove the investigative branch of government from the politics of government. And Comey, in his own memoir, says that the moment that they got over the transom, the Clinton case sent to them by the State Department to investigate whether or not a crime had been committed, that the moment that happened and the State Department announced it, um, he said, we were dead. It was like, you know, it was, we were all walking corpses. Uh, and that turned out to be true. And I have a blog now half written that says, I think we need one of the lessons to be learned here is that we need to deal with the investigative branch of government in a different way uh, to ensure that the chief investigative officer of the United States and that's the director of the FBI, is insulated from politics, is totally insulated from politics. And if that were in place, none of this would have happened. And what a better place we would all be in. But it's important for each of you to pay attention to what's going to happen um, I believe that Robert Mueller should testify in public. That would help all of us to understand if he would clarify his thinking on this issue. But I'm with Nancy Pelosi. There is no impeachable offense, provable impeachable offense here that's going to be voted on by the Senate. 
And if you cannot succeed in the final analysis we know in business, you don't start the project. Because the American people voted in 2018, fix my health care, strengthen the economy, create jobs, fix immigration. Those were the issues. Those are the issues on which we should judge the performance of this Congress, not investigations and not an attempt at turning this report into an impeachment trial. And on that note, we'll be back with a few closing thoughts. to reimagine America with Joyce Cordy on 860 AM, The Answer. And we're back uh, with just a few closing thoughts. Um, if, if you'd like, um, maybe at some point we'll, probably after Mueller testifies, we'll have a little two-way dialogue about this. Um, again, I, I think it's time to hear from Mueller and then it's time to move on to the corrective action part of this report. Where you don't do a report like this and then not take corrective action on, on what are huge problems and quite actionable. We need an urgent, you know, like we all need to go to the barricades to fix this problem so that it doesn't repeat itself in 2020. Because as polarized as our politics were in 2016, 2020 is going to be worse. And that means more opportunity for mischief. And so now on this Easter Sunday, on this third day of Passover, let's take a step back. We're now almost two decades into the 21st century. Stop and think from a governmental point of view, from an economic point of view, from a national security point of view. If over the last 20 years, we have made significant progress, that we have moved as a nation with the speed and the promise of the technology we are so fortunate and famous to have developed. Take a moment, think about that, and you're going to realize We've taken, if, we've taken no steps forward. And that's what the 2020 election should be battled over. What is the nation gonna look like in 20 years, in 40 years, in 60 years, in 80 years, when we hit 2100? You and I won't be here, but our children and grandchildren will. So it's our responsibility to leave them a world better than we found. And there are some profound issues that we need to discuss within that structure. Climate change, economic inequality, um, a lot of things. An interesting story in the papers this week about whether or not classic American capitalism can be sustained. Very good question. 
So um, on that on that somewhat sober note, uh, let's look forward. There will be no Reimagine America Radio Hour next week um, because um, the A's will preempt us, and um, I will be walking the Los Gatos Saratoga walk, the Rotary walk. So if any of you, I'll be at the starting line, they tell me. Um, so um, if any of you are there, come and say hi. Um, we will be back on May 5th. On May 5th, we will be preempted by the A's, but we will be. So I want you to take out your phone right now and go get the 860 app and download it because we will be live on the app and then the show will be repeated at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. We will look forward to seeing you on Mother's Day or talking to you live on Mother's Day. Um, And I can't predict where the world will be quite then. But again, we'll be gone next week. We'll be back the week after. But we will be online at 8 o'clock. And make sure you download the 860 app on your phone so that we can be um, live together on May 5th. Have a wonderful Easter Sunday. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.